All right, well, first I'd like to thank, uh, there's some new people you see sitting around here. I have some friends and family who came to support me, so I want to thank you guys. And I also want to thank Regeneration. Uh, this summer has been amazing, getting to work with you guys and getting to know and have relationships and friendships. I'm really going to miss you all when I go back to Moody in two weeks. With that being said, if you're new here this week, welcome. Um, <laughs> if uh, we have been going through the book of James together, and today we will continue in chapter 3. Um, but before we get there, if you can turn with me to the book of Isaiah, we're going to be reading from Isaiah chapters 6, verses 1 through 6. Um, that is, again, just in case you missed it, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. <clears throat> All right, so picks up here. This is what Isaiah says. It says, It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two they covered their faces, with two they covered with their feet, and with two they flew. They are calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people of filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Let's take a second here to really picture what's going on. This is Isaiah, a great Old Testament prophet. He's in the temple, and suddenly the presence and the glory of God shows up. With this, he sees seraphim, which is one of three angels mentioned in the Bible. And this type of angel is normally associated with the presence of God and also is known as the fiery ones. And they flew with, they had six wings, with two they covered their face, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And there is no doubt that they were covering themselves in this way because they were in the presence and glory of God. And so they were humbled by his glory. And so they were speaking praises, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His glory fills this whole earth. This is such a tremendous scene to be witnessing by Isaiah. And if the angels who are there continuously praising God in such a way are covering their face and feet, how do you think Isaiah feels when he just shows up? Could you imagine that? Put yourself in Isaiah's shoes. Say you're at work at home and suddenly the space that you are in becomes filled with the presence and glory of God. You look up and you see the Lord your God sitting on a throne before you. You see the train of his robe draping over the throne and consuming the entire space in front of you. And if that's not enough, you look around him, God, and see great angelic beings that are flying and praising God in such a way that their voices shake the very foundations of your room. What a tremendous scene this is to be witnessing. And the thing that is interesting about this text is that is when Isaiah is face to face with the glory of God, he becomes aware of two things. First, he becomes aware of God's holiness. And then he becomes aware of how unholy he is. And I'm sure the same can be said about many of us when we came to accept Christ. Then some way, in shape, or form, we were presented with God's holiness and we knew that we were sinful creatures. And so... What does Isaiah say, though? This is the interesting part, is something he says, it is all over, for I am doomed. I am a sinful man. He says, I have filthy lips. 
and I live among a people with filthy lips. Why, when the, in the presence of God, is the first thing that Isaiah talks about is his mouth, his tongue? Why is this the case? Well, this is exactly what James is going to unpack for us today in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. I'll be reading from <coughs> excuse me, the New Living Translation. This is a book right after Hebrews, towards the end, back of your Bible, if you're looking for it, or you can find it on the YouVersion app. It should be there. 736 is the page in the blue Bibles under your chairs. And so this is James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Last week, Kyle talked to us about how James says, faith without works is dead, and true faith will produce works. Well, this week, James speaks to those who have faith. He speaks about the power of our tongues. He tells us how it can destroy and build up others around us. And he also tells us that it reflects our hearts and how we think about God. And so begin his teaching on the tongue. James warns the people who can do the most damage with it. He warns teachers. He starts off, he says in verse 1, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church. For we who teach will be judged more strictly. James says this needs to be taken more seriously. And that is true, especially of today, because whether we want to acknowledge it or not, we are all teachers. As Christians, we are all teachers. James is not just talking about those who do Sunday school classes or those who speak in front of people or pastors or step pastors. He's talking about everyone. He's talking about everyone who speaks on the behalf of, about, and or claims to know Christ. Because today we are surrounded by friends, family, and co-workers who don't know Christ. And they look to us as their examples. And so they watch us to see what Christianity is. And one of my favorite Christian rappers, and that does exist and it's very good music, his name is Andy Mineo, and one of his lyrics says that you might be the only Bible that your non-Christian friends ever read. And this proves to be true. What James is saying here is that if you are going to speak about God, about, for, and of God, what you say better line up with what God says. Because if not, we will receive a stricter judgment. So there are times that we can be careless with what we say when we are teaching others, even when we are just talking about God. But to this, we will be held accountable. So there are three things that James is going to unpack for us in the rest of this text today about the tongue. The first is how powerful our tongues are. Then he's going to move on to say what our tongues can do for us and others around us. And then he'll finish with telling us what our tongues say about our hearts and how we think about God. And so we'll continue reading when James makes a really profound statement. He says, Indeed, we all make many mistakes. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. It's so profound, because if you didn't know that, now you know. We all make many mistakes. We all stumble. We all mess up. We make different mistakes with work, with addictions, and relationships, even with our finances. But what he says next is very important. He says, for if we can control our tongues, if we can control our tongues, we would be perfect and can also control ourselves in every other way. This is the point where I asked myself as I was preparing for this, is James crazy? Because how can controlling my tongue help me with my addiction? How can controlling my tongue help me with my finances? Like it makes sense, the relationships, it can help me in my relationships, but how with other areas of my life? 
James is echoing, <coughs> excuse me, James is echoing himself here from the first chapter, verse 26, when he says, if you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. If you're a Christian and you can't control your tongue, you are deceiving yourselves. And James says, what you perceive as this religion is worthless. So with this statement, James is showing us the depth and the importance of this subject, the subject that we are talking about today, controlling our tongues. And he continues to back himself up by giving two illustrations of how the tongue can control our lives. We continue reading. He says, we can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. James makes an illustration that people today and in his time period could easily understand. He says, if we want to understand what he's talking about with controlling our tongues, that we are to just look at a horseback rider. This horseback rider sits upon a 1,500-pound beast and can make it turn left and right and have full control over this just by means of a little bit in its mouth, a little piece of metal. And James says that we have a bit in our mouth. It's a little three-inch muscle that we have known as a tongue. It's in between our teeth. And it, he says it can control us in our circumstances. Have you ever seen a wild horse? That is a horse that has no bit, is not bridled. That is a horse that will knock you off. That is a horse that you can't control. And so sometimes we lose control. Have you ever lost your temper? You ever, you ever yell at someone? As a, my grandfather's saying, no, he never lost his temper. Okay. Well, he probably has. Um, <laughs> If you haven't, maybe you're one of those people who just do one little, one word, just one quiet word, just, oh, and then you're done. You hold your peace about it. But still, James is addressing those who have snarky comments and a loud temper. And while James says that if we can control our tongues, we can control the rest of our body. That is to say that if we put a bit in our mouth and have control of our tongue, we can better control the circumstances in our lives if we would just learn how to control our tongue. So then James goes on to give a second illustration, and he tells us to look at the sea. He says, and a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses it to go. This is another illustration that James shows the power and the control of the tongue. He says, a ship can be tossed back and forth by the wind. If you've ever seen a ship that has no rudder on it, it'll be tossed by the wind in any direction that the wind chooses. It's uncontrollable. But if you have a skilled pilot who is controlling a comparatively small rudder to the rest of the ship, he can turn it in any direction, anywhere he wants, and no matter how strong the winds are, and even through storms. And then James says, in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. And so with this, James shows us the power of the tongue and its ability to direct us in good ways. But next, he's going to give us a look at the other side of things and the destructive power of the tongue. We continue reading, he says, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is a fire set by hell itself. He says that our tongue is a match. It's a spark, just a little flame. But we all know what small fires are capable of. Houses destroyed, forests completely level. Even the city of Chicago had a great fire that left thousands and thousands of people homeless. And this is all because a small flame was left unattended and grew into something much, much bigger. 
So there's a point where we need to ask ourselves, how much damage can we really do with our tongues? We have to ask ourselves, how much damage have we done with our tongues? Let me rephrase that. How much damage have I done with my tongue? Unfortunately, there are many examples of this today. Marriages, friendships, even sometimes family relationships can be completely destroyed because of what someone said. One word, and now I want to get a divorce. One sentence, and now two friends hate each other. One conversation, and now a father no longer talks to his son. Whole relationships destroyed. And so the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, and it's set by hell itself. Our tongue is capable of corrupting our entire body, and when we speak, when we speak, hell is looking for an opportunity to set a spark, just a little spark, that could grow into something uncontrollable. So that's why it's important for us to control our tongues in the first place. So far, James has shown us that our tongue is powerful and has the ability to direct and destroy lives. And the next thing he's going to tell us is how it can speak truth, life, or death, and how it has the power to determine life. This is where it will all come together, because it kind of sounds silly to say that just controlling our tongues will control all these areas in our lives. This is where James really pulls it together, and this is what he says. He says, people can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. James shows us that humans are capable of taming things, and we all know this. Have you ever been to a zoo or a circus? You can go to a zoo and look through the glass and see a 350-pound gorilla and feel safe most of the time. Um, With recent events, sorry. Uh, But we have learned how to control animals. We can tame our dogs, but in comparison, we can't tame this three-inch muscle in our mouth that all of us have. And so he says we have the ability to praise our Lord with it, but we also have the ability to curse those who are made in his image, and how is this possible? This cannot be. So he goes on to give us more examples from nature. He says, does a spring of water bubble out both fresh and bitter water? He says, does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. James is asking us questions that he knows we know the answer to. He says, if a tree produces apples, it's an apple tree. That's how we identify what the tree is. We identify the tree by its fruit. You don't tell your kids to go pick you a pear from the apple tree because that's not possible. And this, but our tongues, our tongues are capable of praising and cursing. Praising and cursing by nature are two opposites. And so this is James using his continually coined term which is to be double-minded. James coined this term, and that means our tongues are double-minded. But James reminds us that this is not right. It goes against the nature of who we are. Or it goes straight, let me reword that, it goes straight to the nature of who we are. And he echoes Jesus' words from Luke 6, 45. It says, what comes out of our mouths is overflow from our hearts. This is where James really gets into it. He says, 
what we speak is tied directly to our heart. And so when we are speaking in ways that we shouldn't, that's a heart issue, that's not a head issue. That's not a thought process. We need, now we all know words have weight. James has showed us that, and we all know this. Some of us are here today because someone took time to speak life into your life. Someone took the time to speak love, compassion, and grace. And that's why you're here today. And some of us are still healing today from forest fires that other people have started in their lives. These forest fires can be started by friends, even people at church, and sometimes even people who share your last name. And so we as Christians are not exempt from this. In fact, we are very guilty of this. We're sitting here today, we just sang worship songs, we're opening up the word, we're digging into it, and we'll all have this thing called Christian community where we're all loving towards each other. But fast forward a few moments when you're in the car and someone cuts you off and look out. Some not so nice words are coming out now, right? Or if, that's, if, if you're a patient driver, maybe fast forward to when your closest friend hurts you. You know, or you find yourself saying, oh, the next time I see that person, I'm going to let them have it. Mm. So it's foolish for us to think that we as Christians are exempt for this. And we should realize what James says earlier, that Christians are to control the tongue because of the power that it has. That is that we as Christians are called to a higher standard. Because with it, we have the power to speak life and or death. Proverbs 18.21 reads, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so we ought to make sure that we are using it to speak life. How did God create the world? Did he knit it together with his hands? Did he try to impress us and use his feet? No. The Bible says that God spoke the earth into creation. He said, let there be, and it was. And so God's words have the ability to create and sustain life but if you fast forward a few chapters, two, and the serpent comes running his big old mouth. When that happens, he speaks fire starts, and death enters the world. And so this is a capability that our tongues have. This is the praising and the cursing that comes out of one mouth. It's against nature because there are not springs that produce fresh and bitter water. But our mouths are springs that can and will produce both. So what do we do to make sure that we are speaking life? That our tongues are used in a way that point people to the Savior and not used for destruction. James has told us we have to look at our heart. We make sure that we have our hearts right. We need to make sure that we are striving in every way to tap into Christ to be attached to the true vine that Jesus talks about in John 15, that we abide in Christ and Christ abides in us. Because let's face it, without God bridling us and helping control our tongues, we are going to burn this whole earth down. Without Christ, my heart is not in the right place. And because of that, what I say will become destructive. We have all messed up in this area before. And if you haven't, you can leave because you're perfect. This isn't for you. And so what do we do if we've messed up with our tongues? What do we do if we have started fires? 
Well, the first we need to look at our heart and ask ourselves, is Christ really changing my heart still? If I'm able to cut this person out of my life with a conversation, if I'm using my tongue for destruction, if I'm speaking gossip, you have to ask yourself, is Christ really still changing me? Am I letting Christ change me daily? And after that, we have to have to realize that we have a Savior who has forgiven us and who has died for that. And so we're going to look back to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah is standing before God, and he's saying, Woe is me, for I am doomed. I am a man of sinful lips, who live among a people of filthy lips. He says, I have spoken destruction. I have gossiped. I have lied. I have used my tongue for bad My heart is impure, and because it is impure, it gives birth to destruction. And he says, yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. And so what happens next is really, really cool. He says, then one of the seraphim, that is the angels, flew to me with a burning coal that he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongues. He touched my lips with it and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here I am, send me. And can I tell you today, guys, that we have a burning coal, just like the burning coal that purified James and removed his guilt. We have a burning coal and his name is Jesus Christ. He has died for us even though we couldn't ever and never will deserve it. There's nothing we can do. But he has taken away our sins and forgiven us. And because, it's because of this that we praise him. And it's because of this that we go to the ends of the earth to spread his name to others. It's because of him that we need to control our tongues and use them to speak life. And can I tell you that it's only by him that we're able to do this. It is only by him that we can do this. And so we need to make sure that we are tapping into him. So when we do speak, we need to make sure that we are using our tongue to point people to him, that we are inviting others to know him, and that we use our mouths to show others the love of Christ. And can I tell you guys, it makes a difference. It really makes a difference where your heart is when you're speaking. To give you an example, for those of you who don't know, me and my dad, he's sitting back there in the black shirt, um, (laughs) Me and my dad, a couple weeks ago, went to Jordan, uh, and we stayed just south of the Syrian border, and we worked with Syrian refugees. And there, in the Middle East, it is a dark place. It is a very dark place. But it makes a difference when you speak, because there you're not allowed to talk about Jesus. You're not, you can be asked about Jesus, but you're not allowed to talk about Jesus. So me and my dad never had the chance to. But because of the overflow of our hearts, because of Christ and us, the words that we spoke affected these 30 Syrian refugee boys in a profound way. When you have Christ in you, what what he can do through you is is remarkable. It really is. Our, Our words no longer lay weight on people's shoulders. It has the ability to lift weight off of people's shoulders. And so people will notice when our words are different because of our heart and where our heart is. We didn't tell them that we were Christians, but by the end of the week, they knew we were Christians. They called us, in fact, they even called us their Christian brothers, and they still said that they loved us. And so this is extremely important for us to realize 
that we need to get our hearts in the right place. To get our hearts in the right place so what overflows shines bright in this dark world. So be, as we go today, as we go tonight, we need to be mindful of where our hearts are so we can continually tap into Christ so that Christ can change our hearts so what overflows from us, what comes out of our mouths, will lead other people to him so that we can truly be examples for Christ. If you'll bow your head and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this night. We thank you for this ability to come here and to praise you openly and freely, Lord. We thank you for your word. We pray that you will continue to change our hearts, Lord. Allow us to grow closer to you. Give us the desire to know you, Lord. Pray that as we go into worship and communion that you will move our hearts. We pray this all in your name. Amen.